Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, an update on a few low-cost airlines and what this means to every traveler. Scott McCartney, the travel editor emeritus of the Wall Street Journal, has an important analysis. And then, the real and present danger of AI, especially when it comes to travel journalism. Pauline Fromer, the editorial director of the excellent and long-standing Fromer's Guides, with a disturbing report. And then, when it comes to travel and lifestyle in general, what does it mean to be thought of and live the life of a modern elder? Chip Conley has a new book out, and he considers the concept of longevity travel. First up, Scott McCartney. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligrams of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Hello, Scott. Hello, Peter. Great to be with you. So there's just so much news out there today about about travel. I got to start with one that you and I have been tracking for a long time. Uh, Actually, three different airlines, JetBlue, Spirit, and Frontier. Uh, Just to give everybody Mm -hmm. a recap, at one point, Frontier announced they wanted to merge with Spirit. And while that thought was going to happen, out of left field, here comes JetBlue with a bigger offer. 
The, the shareholders said, Abel, we want to get married to JetBlue. Then the federal government kicked in and said, we don't think so, not so fast. We think it's anti-competitive. It's going to end up raising airfares. And, of course, that ends up being litigated in court in Boston. Federal judge coming down and saying uh, he's blocking it because he agrees that he thinks it's going to be anti-competitive. Where are we with that case right now? Well, uh, the, the case right now probably isn't going anywhere. Um, I think I think JetBlue wants out of the deal and uh, and, and and may take action to uh, to kill it formally. Um, and uh, and and while Spirit can appeal um, from folks I talk to, there's there's not a lot of grounds to appeal here. And the reality is Spirit is a much weaker airline than it was when JetBlue agreed to buy it. So JetBlue was going to renegotiate anyway. Um, and I think Frontier, although they wanted badly to buy Spirit uh, a couple of years ago, now they're looking at it and saying Spirit is not worth nearly what we thought it was then. Um, and Spirit's a big trouble. Um, the Wall Street has started talking about using the B word, um, that there may be a possible bankruptcy here. They have, Spirit, has, the company has lost $2 billion in the la- over the last four years. And that can't continue. Um, and so they have a, they, they mortgage their loyalty program uh, for more than a billion dollars. And that loan comes due in September of, of uh, 2025. And so sometime before then, and Spirit's already said they're trying to refinance it, um, but uh, there, there may be a fire sale here. Um, I, I think this is a case where I've always believed there will always be airlines that just have different names. And this is one where the Spirit airplanes may end up with different names on the side. Well, let's go back for a second because tell me if I'm crazy, but didn't we think that, especially during the pandemic, it would be the low fare carriers who would succeed? Yeah, and well, in in any business, right, the low cost provider has the advantage. Um, and it turns out, low cost is not winning in the airline business. And, and I think there are several reasons why. Um, one is that. Uh, the loss of business travel for the big airlines has has really been kind of permanent, right? They're, they're, they're down 20% from 2019 levels. It's actually worse than that because the economy's grown since 2019. Um, but there has been a structural change. People just aren't taking as many trips as they used to. There's still plenty of business travel, just not as much. So airlines have said, okay, we don't need as many flights between New York and Chicago or New York and Atlanta or Los Angeles and Dallas or whatever it might be, business travel markets. So you know what? Let's take those airplanes and put them where there are passengers, which is the leisure markets. Well, the leisure markets, Las Vegas, Orlando, Cancun, you name it, that's the bread and butter of the low-cost guys. So all of a sudden, the big airline competition came in and sat on top of them. And with basic economy fares, they've been scooping up passengers, taking market share away from the smaller low cost guys um, who uh, used to benefit from, because the big airlines were what's known in the industry as spill. They were, they were spilling passengers. 
we're not going to take your $49 passenger because we could sell that seat to somebody at a higher price. Well, now they, now they want the $49 passenger. The other thing that's really changed the industry are the frequent flyer programs. Airlines are making huge amounts of money selling miles and points to banks, they're, they're selling, and when you have a credit card and you get uh, a checked bag with that or you get early boarding with that, the bank actually pays the airline for that. So all that money that's coming in through the loyalty programs, that's where the profits are for airlines these days. And the smaller guys just don't have the, the credit card deals that the big guys have. And that's really changing the business. Of course, when when JetBlue first went after Spirit, you know the the first question I had, and I presume it might have been one of yours, is that here you have two separate airlines, two separate cultures, two separate yeah. markets. Why would JetBlue want Spirit? And then it became obvious why they wanted them. They wanted the planes, and they wanted the pilots who were already trained yeah. to fly those planes. And so, either way yeah. you look at it here, uh, at least it seems to me, Spirit may not be around that much longer if it's a standalone or it would not have been around much longer had that merger deal been approved. No, and that was the government objection of the merger deal, because JetBlue was pretty upfront about it. JetBlue was going to take seats off of the Spirit planes, turn them into JetBlue planes, which has which offer more legroom. They wanted, as you say, the, the planes and the pilots. They also wanted Spirit's gates in the middle of the country. Spirit's pretty strong in Dallas and Houston and other other places, Chicago, where JetBlue's not. JetBlue flies right over those cities. Um, but for JetBlue to compete against the big airlines, it needed more of a national network, needed to get bigger, needed to be able to offer good credit card deals to, to its customers, um, needed to offer... Uh, good service for attracting business travelers as well as leisure travelers. They just had to get bigger. Um, and so they looked at Spirit and said, you know what? Spirit's got a more of a national network. And so we would be, you know, we have the big four, right? American, Delta, United, and Southwest. Well, well, JetBlue could compete better against the big four if it had a bigger network. And that's really why they wanted Spirit. Now, with, with the case, with the Clayton Act, what the question before the judge was, hey, are there any Spirit customers that are going to be disadvantaged? And JetBlue was pretty upfront saying, hey, we charge low fares, but we're not the lowest. And so the judge said, well, then there's somebody who's going to get a $19 Spirit fare, and that may be the only way they can fly. And they're going to be disadvantaged if there's no more Spirit. And the problem to me, the problem with the ruling is there, there may be no more spirit, more likely because of the judge's ruling than uh, if the judge had ruled the other way. I, I and, think, and of course, you know, that you brings up, and that brings up another question, Scott, and that is Frontier itself. Because let's say yeah. spirit goes away, then Frontier remains as the last of the ultra low cost carriers of any substance in America. And what's to prevent them at that point from raising airfares on average between 40 and $60? They'd still be the low fare carrier, but they'd make a whole lot more money. Yeah, and I think Frontier looks at it and says, you know what? We could get some, some of those spirit planes and pilots that we wanted. Um, we could get them a whole lot cheaper without assuming a lot of debt that, that spirit has. 
And so, so they're waiting. Frontier's also doing a really interesting thing because they're not making money in the, in the leisure markets like they used to. Frontier just announced a whole lot of, of new service at, at the big airline hubs, um, Atlanta and Dallas and Chicago and Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. And so Frontier's saying, you know what? You came into our markets and hurt us. We're going to go into your markets and hurt you. <laughs> I'm seeing stories all over the map, Scott, about projections about both international and domestic airfares for the summer of 2024. And on the international level, based on what I'm hearing from the airlines and from the guys who are tracking this, it doesn't look good. It looks like the international airfares could be up as much as 10% over last year. I, I think that's right for summer, although I, I don't have a lot of confidence in that because I think People are really price sensitive. And if Europe gets too expensive, for example, they'll go somewhere else. And, and that's fine. And so I think you could, you could see a lot of fares come down. Airlines have really high hopes for summer, but uh, there are some signs that that may not come to be. Now, it certainly uh, was more expensive last summer. But one of the things a lot of airlines have done is pump a lot more capacity in the schedules for next summer. And it may be one of those situations where, you know what, there is a need for more flights. And three air, three U.S. airlines and three European airlines, they, they all add the same number of flights that are needed. And all of a sudden you got overcapacity. I, I don't know. I heard from my, just anecdotally, my daughter the other day, she's looking to go from Los Angeles to London and Paris, $600 round trip. Now that's not a summertime fare, but that's, that's a April fare. And so if it's that week in April, uh, I don't, not, I'm not completely convinced. Hey, yeah. hey, April in Paris, but let's go moving yeah. along. Yeah, I know. But now let's take a look at some of the projections for domestic airfares. I'm, I'm seeing numbers that are indicating they're coming down. Yes. Yes, they are. And and I experienced this myself. Uh, you know, I, I commute to North Carolina to teach at Duke University now. And uh, and I booked all my trips for for um, February, March, and April on, on Southwest. And right away, I got TripIt price alert saying the prices had come down. I ended up with credits on Southwest for more than $200. It, it worked out to 8 and that was like bang, bang, bang right away after I bought the tickets. All of a sudden, things were going on sale. Um, so, yes, I think it, it's a really interesting time in the market. There are some factors that are taking capacity out. The Pratt & Whitney engine problems, the air traffic controller shortage, the, um, the problems at Boeing delivering airplanes. But even with those constraints, um, there is a lot of capacity in domestic markets. And when there's too much capacity, you get, you get lower fares, and it's a great time for, for uh, consumers to pick up those tickets. Well, I'm certainly hoping that Mr. McCartney is correct and on target as usual. But let's change gears here for a second and talk about one of my favorite topics, which I think is somewhat ludicrous. What makes an airline think that having nine separate boarding groups is an efficient use of time? Well, Peter, it is not about efficiency. It's about money. Um, boarding Nine different boarding groups are what you get when you start selling priority for different boarding groups. And, you know, we mentioned uh, the, the, the importance to airlines financially of their loyalty programs. You know, most of us don't get upgrades anymore. What do you get that's really a benefit from the loyalty program? 
Well, early boarding is one of the big benefits, right? right? And okay, now now that's one of the big benefits of credit card groups. And maybe you want your top tier frequent flyers to be one step ahead of the credit card people. And different credit cards are going to get different levels of early boarding. So all of a sudden, You've got all these different slices, and it's all because the airline is selling it. It has nothing to do with how quickly they can load an airplane. It, it has everything to do with how much revenue they can load on that airplane. I hear you. But I think they can actually redo the whole boarding process, keep the nine groups, but just relabel them. So here's my suggestion. <laughs> boarding group number one, people who are on their meds. Uh, boarding group number two, <laughs> people who are not on their meds. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, boarding group number three, people with personality disorders. Uh, boarding group number four, people acting like children. Uh, we, I can continue. I just think that's it's, yeah. almost, it's a more honest way to do it, you know. Um, and then you know, or boarding group number six, most likely to act out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just a thought. At least it would make the, the flight more entertaining. Because you know, if they, once they call boarding group number six, get your camera out. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a, you know, it's it's a good thought. And what I'd really love to see the airline industry do is a real analysis of the cost of all of those nine boarding groups, not just in aggravation and everything else, but it takes longer to board. Well, that's minutes out of the schedule, and that's expensive for airlines. And I'm not sure they really take into consideration, hey, wait a minute. You know, Spirit did this years ago. We could take out five minutes from boarding. Well, then we could fly the same schedule with fewer airplanes. And airplanes are, you know, very expensive. Um, so it's so exactly. is crew time. You know, why, is it because you're, you're, you know, getting a little kickback from, um, uh, American Express or, or uh, Chase Bank or whoever uh, for that credit card boarding group. You know, maybe if we shaved a few minutes out of the schedule on every single flight, uh, we'd come out better financially. I don't know. My thanks to Scott. Artificial intelligence, chat GBT. A promise or a threat when it comes to travel journalism it's getting a little scary out there. Pauline Fromer with a report on credibility and trust and what you really need to know. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. 
Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Pauline, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Peter, for having me on. And, you know, you and I were talking the other day, and the minute you told me some of these stories, I did a little research, and boy, were you right. You know, we we all hear the words AI, artificial intelligence, or chat GPT, and everybody thinks it's an easy way out. Everybody thinks it's, you know, it can be used positively. But when it comes to content, and most importantly, to the credibility of that content, I've got some real issues with it, not only as a journalist, but as somebody who covers the travel industry. Um, You know, yeah. so many books right now are being sold on Amazon and other online retailers that are destination books on, you know, pick a country and the, and the authors essentially don't exist. Uh, and, right. and, and the information in there hasn't been verified or checked and yet they're being sold. And if you look at them, you know, and, and the photos on the, on, on online, they look like reasonably decent books. They look like they might be credible. They might look like they might actually be updated the answer is none of the above. And of course, how many right. how many books and editions are you issuing every year, Pauline? Uh, well, it varies. Uh, we, we try to do annual books on the big destinations, Hawaii, Paris, Italy, New York City. Um, we've got about 130 books uh, that we update regularly. Um, but yeah, you're right. So there are all of these fake guidebooks up there. You said they're on Amazon and other sites. I'm not sure if that's true. I think they're mostly on Amazon because Amazon is printing them on demand. So Ah. Amazon is the printer of them. And, uh, you know, these books are being written by AI and nobody's even editing them. I decided to get one. I got it on Kindle, so I didn't have to pay quite as much. <laughs> and I was, it, was on, it was on Ireland, and it had a section about the different seasons in Ireland. And when it got to fall, it all became about the dangers of falling. Are you serious? Are you so, serious? Oh, yeah. Insane. So, so nobody's even reading these things before they issue them. And the crazy thing is... They're doing AI-generated five-star reviews in support of these books. So you see a book that's gone up a week before, and it already has 200 five-star reviews. For one of our books to get 200 reviews, that takes a full year. Um, so it's, it's really rough uh, out there right now, and my heart goes out to all of the... Uh, guidebook readers who are getting scammed by these things. Well, you know, when you talk about those five-star reviews, that calls into question the credibility of all of the ratings on Amazon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's the Federal Trade Commission that is supposed to be overseeing reviews. They have not done much. Uh, for am on Amazon or other sites that paste uh, that put up uh, user reviews, and there are there are watchdog groups that claim you know as many as fifty, sixty, seventy percent of the reviews you'll see not only just on uh, Amazon but on Google Maps, on TripAdvisor, on Yelp. 
that they're simply disguised marketing, that they're never really real reviews, or, or maybe a third of them are. All right, so that begs the question, how do you stop it? Uh, you're, I think the FTC has to get involved, frankly. Um, and in this case, you know, it's not just that Amazon is letting fake reviews live on its site. Amazon is making money printing these books. It's making money selling the publisher publishers of these books keywords uh, so that people find them when they search for them and they're letting them put up these fake reviews. Uh, so to my mind, they are in bed with the fraudsters in this case. And so I'm, I'm hoping the FTC will see it that way too. We've been speaking with Pauline Fromer, the editorial director of the legendary iconic Fromer's Guidebooks, 130 titles right now. But we're talking about some other titles out there that may be bogus. I take that back. That are bogus, that are generated by AI with no vetting, no checking, no verification, and are being falsely and fraudulently marketed. And so has that happened to any Fromer books? Sadly, yes. Uh, and we had to, it took weeks for us to get Amazon to take down a fake Fromers Italy and a fake Fromers New York City. I'm spending too much of my time looking at Amazon now just to make sure that other people don't, don't try and stay, steal our trademark. Happily, friends of mine all put up one-star reviews saying this isn't the real Fromers guide. Uh, but, you know, we've We've been sold by Amazon since the beginning of Amazon. You would think they would know that we're the copyright holders. And it's not just us. There was a guy on Amazon putting out uh, fake guidebooks under the name Mike Steves. <laughs> oh, boy. As opposed to so, Rick Steves. Yeah. Right. Right. Unbelievable. Okay. But when when you get, when they put out that fake book, a fake Fromer's Guide on Italy, how did you, know, you, you talked about the, the dangers of falling in Ireland? What was the giveaway for you on, on, on the book they did with you? Well, it didn't. It, it said Fromer's Italy, but it wasn't our cover. And uh, I, I was alerted to it by Bill Newland of the Moon Guides, actually. He bought it, seeing that it wasn't our cover because, you know, we have um, a trademark logo. Uh, and he, he, he got it, you know, it was like all of Italy in, I think it was 85 pages. Um, you know, it just was useless. It was a piece of crap. Well, you know, I, I actually went on chat GPT about four months ago and I, and I would say, please write a story about fire Island, a place where I live, uh, that Peter Greenberg might write. And I have to tell you, it was very scary because it almost did just that. Right. Because, huh. because it was basically yeah. drawing in all the source material for that, which had already been written by me. But it was being, but mm. the byline said my name. Now, yeah. I, and not only that, I found probably 25 things in that story that were either out of date, misleading, mm. or, or, or downright yeah. wrong. Right. I mean, that's the thing with AI, it hallucinates. Uh, it doesn't always get the right, uh, the things right, the facts right. And sometimes it creates, uh, you know, sources and information out of whole cloth. And so you never know what you're getting. Sometimes it does very well, and sometimes it's totally off. Well, maybe there's another way to do this, because if you go on Amazon, they not only list the book, I believe they also list the publisher, don't they? 
yes, but actually, I can't remember what it said on the fake Fromer guides. That's very interesting. Um, I, I don't know if I looked at that, but if it, God, if it happens again, I'm going to. But, you know, it, it's just whatever name this, this con artist gave to themselves uh, for this time, they'll probably do it under a different name uh, next time. And it, the thing that kills me is, as you and I both know, there's been a bloodbath in journalism. And we at the Fromer Guides are keeping dozens of hardworking journalists around the world in business. We hire actual journalists in the destinations we cover, and we're very proud that we're, we're still giving them work. And, and things like this really hurt, you know, the good guys who are trying to employ human beings and, uh, you know, who do factual research. Well, that's the other point, Pauline. You're actually vetting it. You're fact-checking it. You're not just taking everything at face value and just, you know, printing it, which is exactly what's happening on these AI-generated books. Right. No, we have people in the destinations. They know them. We want to give our readers insider information that way. Uh, I write the New York City book. I just did the nightlife section, which was a hell of a lot of fun. And by the way, um, and by the but, way, on the, you know, on, the, have... on the nightlife section, I want to commend you for that yeah. wonderful chapter on the fear of falling. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, all it happens kidding, in many bars. No, I but, hear. But, but all kidding. <laughs> but all kidding aside, I mean, this is a serious issue, and I want to encourage our listeners that if you're going to, you know, here's what I do. I'm, I'm a big fan, as you know, of independent bookstores. I'm a big fan of supporting them. I'm a big fan of going to them. I'm a big fan of personal yeah. physical browsing. And I think if you do that, you might just be pleasantly surprised that, at your own ability to discern real versus fake. You can't always do that online. Yeah, very true. Very true. My thanks to Pauline. My mother once told me that it's more important to be interested than interesting. It's all about staying curious, and that defines Chip Conley, author of a new book, Learning to Love Midlife. And in the book, Conley tackles one of our favorite subjects, why we travel, and how we travel, and learning how to be a modern elder in the process. Chip Conley, welcome back. Oh, Peter, you are my modern elder when it comes to travel. That is for sure. And it, let's define modern elder for a second. What the founders of Airbnb said is, Chip, you are as curious as you are wise, and that's what makes you a modern elder. So I like that. I'll take that. I will absolutely take that. But, you know, the name of your book says 12 Reasons Why Life Gets Better With Age. I'll just take one. <laughs> I'll go with one, you know. But but what, yeah. this is, but what this is all spawned, Chip, and I really want to talk to you about this, is yeah. the book deals with a different approach to midlife, uh, not necessarily as a crisis, but as an opportunity. And, and what's interesting to me is what it's really spawned for you. You know, we've talk about, we talk about adventure travel or eco travel. We talk about educational travel. But we haven't really talked about what you're doing right now. It's perhaps the latest travel trend, longevity travel. Explain that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I have loved the travel industry since I started my boutique hotel company at age 26, Joie de Vivre, uh, based in San Francisco. And then in my late 40s, I didn't want to be doing it anymore. And I was sort of going through a bit of a midlife crisis. Now I, now I would call it the midlife chrysalis um, because the chrysalis is this, the midlife stage for the butterfly. 
and I was going through a transformation, but I just didn't know what to, how, I didn't know how to go through it. There was no roadmap. And then I went through my fifties helping the founders of Airbnb and loved that. And they called me the modern elder. And I started getting curious about like, what is this midlife life stage? I, I didn't like my late forties. I loved my fifties. Um, and I started doing research on it. And the next thing I, I knew, I was talking to this guy, Dan Butner, who had written about blue zones and um, about the places in the world that have the greatest percentage of centenarians, people who've lived to 100. And he found five of them around the world. And I, so I started studying with Dan. And then as I created, I decided to create the world's first midlife wisdom school, MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, after my Airbnb time. Um, I brought Dan on as one of our faculty members, and we now have a partnership with Blue Zones, where we do multiple Blue Zones workshops each year at MEA, because I think I think the next travel trend is going to be longevity travel. People are getting older; they want to figure out how to not just live longer, but live a deeper, happier life. And some people will go to some resort and and do stem cell work, but when they come to MEA, they're doing more emotional, spiritual, and career-focused work to say, like, how do I consciously curate the next half of my adult life? Well, let me go back for a second to as we were emerging from the pandemic. And I've said this before, and I've experienced it. I've seen my friends experience it. Nobody anticipated it. Nobody planned for it. Uh, The question was, could you adjust to it? And that was, the pandemic really forced so many of us to come up close and personal with our own mortality. You know, we either got COVID and survived or, or sadly some of our friends and family members got COVID and didn't. But what it all created was the sense of a ticking clock and a different approach to living the rest of your life. So people came out of the pandemic saying, you know what, I don't need a new car. I don't need new clothes, new jewelry, new expensive electronic items. I want experiences because I don't know how long I'm going to be on the planet and I've got to do it. So everybody called, you know, I think mislabeled it as revenge travel. It wasn't. It was just refocused travel based on the fact that mm-hmm. they changed their priorities. And that leads right to what you're doing with longevity travel. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I, th- I also think we, for a long time, have heard of the term lifelong learning. And what we have coined is the idea of long life learning. How to actually, you know, when we're in adolescence, we learn about adulthood. We learn about all the, all the things we're supposed to learn to be great adults. But what do you learn in midlife? Um, what, how do you learn midlife to understand how to live a longer, deeper, more meaningful life? Um, and, and so some, some longevity resorts are focused on the physical health side of things. They, they'll have things like, oh, plasma exchanges and, and stem cell therapy and regenerative ozone therapy and all kinds of those things, biohacking therapy. Our focus is really more on the nine principles that came up in Blue Zones around what are the things that enhance longevity that don't necessarily require you to have stem cell work done. <laughs> but instead, it's, it's, it's more lifestyle-based. It's socially based. The number one indicator uh, variable for people living a longer, healthier, happier life, uh, according to Harvard and Stanford, is how socially connected are we. So social wellness is a very important part of the wellness journey. And so at MBA, the Modern Elder Academy, that's what we teach in Baja and in Santa Fe, as well as with our online programs. And part of the reason I wrote the book, Learning to Love Midlife, because was because I wanted to be a voice for pro-aging products and services, because the world is full of anti-aging products. And the 12 reasons why we get better with age um, is, was my way of, of helping, you know, illuminate that in the book. You know, you talk about social wellness 
Uh, I want to add to that definition and see if you agree. Because you know, when you think about how people are emerging into this next phase of their life, so many of them are ill-prepared to do what? Just have a basic conversation. Um, yeah. they're, they're terrified of it. Um, they think that their solution is just going online. And I believe that engaging in conversations as a regular lifestyle is not just therapeutic, but it's, it's, it's life enhancing. Well, I think both friends, if, if you thought of friendships and even conversation as a practice, something that you get better at because you exercise that muscle, then by so doing, by saying like, okay, I'm going to go have a deeper conversation with somebody, um, or I'm going to, you know, have a vulnerable conversation with someone, or I'm just going to actually reach out to someone who I loved from college who I haven't seen in 30 years. And I'm actually going to say, Hey, you know, let's figure out when we're going to be in the same city at the same time. I'd love to have a meal with you. So it, it, it is a practice. It, unfortunately in our twenties, thirties and forties, we get so busy that often, um, our, you know, our, our friendship muscle atrophies. And this is particularly true for men. Women are so much more socialized at a young age to keep their friendships. Whereas men sort of like soldier on, you know, on their own. And, end up feeling very lonely in their 50s. You know, one of the definitions, or it's always a search for the definition of the word luxury when it comes to travel. And we mm. morph from material goods to the luxury of time. Uh, yes. And, 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 and you have a chapter in the book that says, I'm starting to experience time affluence. Um, yeah. That's, that's a goal. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, money will make you rich, but time will make you wealthy. And um, so to be, to have time affluence is to curate your life in such a way. Um, and in the book, I really talk a lot about the great midlife edit. How do you get clear on what, you know, you need to let go of in your life? How do you downsize not just your home, but like your, your you know, your obligations and your responsibilities. And so you can create some time affluence. And if you actually have some time back in your life, it gives you the opportunity to try new things. And whether that's going to, you know, on a vacation or a trip somewhere, um, but or it's trying a new hobby at home, um, this is, you know, this is one of the most important things we do as we get older is staying curious and open to new experiences. I, I would highly recommend that people in their 50s, 60s, and beyond do a longevity travel trip to some place. Maybe you come down to MEA to our Baja campus, and then you learn Spanish while you're down here. Um, you you learn how to. Um, learn a language. Uh, you know, the question I asked myself at age 57, I'm 63 now, was 10 years from now, Peter, what will I regret if I don't learn it or do it now? And at 57, I said like, well, I'm going to learn how to surf because I live in Baja part-time near a surf break and I live in Mexico and I don't know Spanish. And so there was a mindset I had, which was like, I'm too old to surf or learn a foreign language. But when I asked myself, well, 10 years from now, what will I regret? I started to realize, well, I could do that now. And I, I don't want to regret this 10 years from now, and it'll be harder to do it 10 years from now. So take, you know, seize the day, find those things that you want to do, and and, and create a plan for, for actually doing them. My thanks to Chip, to Scott McCartney, and to Pauline Frower. And my thanks to you for listening to this Eye on Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, thanks in advance for rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the latest breaking travel news, just log on 
to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.